0: Welcome to Linda's Corner. My name is Linda Bjork, and today we're going to be talking about hospice care. I'm delighted to welcome special guest, Beth Kavanaugh. Beth has over 20 years of nursing experience with over a decade's worth of hospice care. She has written a book called Some Light at the End, Your Bedside Guide for Peaceful Palliative and Hospice Care to help support people dealing with a terminal diagnosis so that they can be better informed, understand the process, and be better able to anticipate the unknown. So welcome, Beth. Thanks so much for visiting with me today.
1: Thanks, Linda. It's so nice to be here.
0: Oh, I am so delighted that you're covering this very tender and very important topic. Last year, we um, buried my mother-in-law, and that was my first experience as an adult dealing with the end of life care and with this situation and everything was new and everything was unknown. So having something like your book, someone who has been through it to say, okay, this is what to expect. And this is kind of how things are going to go would be super, super helpful. So thank you for filling what I think is a very important need. Would you mind kind of sharing your story, how you got into this and how this got started? I know it had to do with your mother.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, my mom uh, died when she was 58 of lung cancer, and I was 28. And um, I was lucky enough to have her ask me to take care of her. My mom really didn't ask for anything ever. So I thought the fact that she came out and said, why don't you come move down here for a couple months and take care of me at the end of my life while I'm on hospice. I would love that. I was the only medical professional in the family. I'd been a nurse for about two years, and I was pregnant with my I was pregnant with my daughter. I had a son at the time, um, Jack. He's he was one. He's twenty three now. And uh, so Jack and I went down there. We left my husband at home to tend tend to the hearth, and uh, we went down to California and took care of my mom at the last three months of her life. And I was with my siblings, and my dad. And you know we kind of fumbled around. I mean, it was a lot of fumbling, a lot of surprises at every turn. We did have hospice with us, which was really great. Uh, they were a great support, great resource. But I was I was just surprised all the time that I had to be the one to um, give her the shower when she needed to change her linens, change her diapers. Um, administer suppositories, you know, all sorts of things you've just never done with your mother before. And, um, it just, it just surprised me. And, uh, the hospice team was great, but you know, the family's the one who does the care. So, um, that was a long time ago. And, um, uh, since then I've been a nurse for about 25 years and I've been doing hospice for the last 15. And, um, I think my book was kind of you know definitely a result of that but it was also seeing again and again and again with each patient and family just a lot of the struggle that they go through at home
0: yeah it's a very emotional time and there like you say there are a lot of unknowns and it can be really scary so having yeah. something that you know a little bit just helps alleviate i think that fear just a little bit where there's not quite so many unknowns now i'm familiar with what hospice care is a little bit but i don't know if everyone who's listening does, would you be willing to explain that? And also, palliative, I had to look that up because I didn't even know what that word meant. So if you want to explain yeah. that one too.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, hospice care is uh, medical care that's offered to somebody when they have a terminal diagnosis. So um, the, the physician uh, feels in their best medical judgment that the patient has six months or less to live if the patient lets the disease run its natural course, which means they've decided not to do aggressive intervention, treatment, hospitalization for their disease process. Um, And with that being said, hospice does a lot of symptom management and um, education, pain management, shortness of breath. We have a lot of medical equipment that can come out to the home and we help guide people and their family through this process.
0: I remember, I remember in your book a little bit. You talked about that it's a quality of life that we're yep. we we've already made the decision or or come to the realization. I guess maybe it's not necessarily a decision that this is the end and we're not. I mean, it just is what it is. And so now uh-huh. we're just going to make sure that we're as comfortable and um, have as much dignity and respect as we can as we as we finish up this this life and to help people out. So. When you talked about your mother and that care, what, what, so hospice doesn't include like changing diapers and bathing. So who does that? I think you talked about a a care, what was the word, care team, a care something. Uh Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Thanks for, thanks for keeping me on track. (laughs) Um, Yeah, there's a care team. Definitely hospice includes a nurse, a social worker, a chaplain, a CNA, a certified nurse assistant, um, and uh, there's a medical director and there's bereavement, which is after somebody has died and there are volunteers. So there is actually a whole team for one patient because dying is so all-inclusive and all-encompassing. Um, the founder, Cicely Saunders, she really felt like the, the patient required a team of professionals who could provide emotional, spiritual, and physical help when somebody is dying. And so there is a team that comes in and they come in and they visit. So the nurse will visit two or three times a week. The CNA will visit two or three times a week and they'll help with the shower and, um, you know, changing the diapers and light housekeeping when they're there. But of course there's the other 160 plus hours that, um, You know, the family's just there with the patient where they have to. But the CNA and the nurse, we do a lot of education about how to, you know, move a patient when they're up in bed, how to help them maintain their dignity while they're going through all of this, the the physical pieces of it. And then the social worker and the chaplain, they're amazing resources for processing the um, emotional, spiritual, existential issues that a lot of people have at the end of life, you know. A lot of patients, even though they sign up for hospice, they're not not—they're not excited about it. You know, dying is a really hard thing to get on
0: board no, with. No, I'm sorry. This is not something that's exciting. It's something that's necessary.
1: No. Right. It's really scary for a lot of people. I mean, uh, some people feel very um, calm and relaxed about the end of their life. And they, they've really processed it. And they, they feel like this is what they want. They're done going to the hospital. They're done going to the ER for you know, respiratory issues or pain crises. And they'd much rather stay at home. But a lot of people really are just, it's kind of an ongoing process of supporting somebody as they come to accepting that they are dying.
0: Okay, that's a really big deal. Now, I I imagine probably one of the number one questions, anybody who's listening, thinking, oh, those resources sound so helpful. Who pays for this? That sounds so expensive. So, and I know you talked about that a little bit in your book. Would you kind of explain where that comes from? Yeah,
1: um, there is a, insurance does. So generally, um, there's a Medicare hospice benefit. And so a lot of what hospice does is driven by Medicare regulations. But Medicare has a, a hospice benefit that pays for somebody who's, for all of these services, for the team, for the medical equipment, for the hospital bed. For uh, medications that have to do with their symptom management, um, if somebody needs uh, respite care, which is maybe five days in a nursing home, so that caregiver can have a break, uh, Medicare will pay for that as well. Um, a lot of private insurance have some type of hospice benefit. So when people are 65 and under it is important to kind of at least look into the insurance plan and see what it covers because of course there's a lot of nuances with that
0: fantastic so this is not just for the rich and famous if it's on (laughs) medicare then anybody can have access to these resources yes and they just need somebody to point them in the right direction and make sure they have the right coverage is that kind of where we're going
1: Um, yeah, exactly. And the hospice team can kind of help sort that out. And usually the physician who is referring to hospice, they will also, that's part of, you know, getting somebody signed up on hospice.
0: Okay. Let's see. Oh, and I asked about palliative care and then we got distracted. So can you explain what that one is?
1: Yeah. I was just talking to somebody about this recently because, uh, uh, she was in her eighties and she was diagnosed with a bunch of different, um, illnesses after a hospitalization. She had heart disease and COPD. And, um, and I told her what palliative care was because a lot of people are afraid of palliative care because, um, because it's kind of synonymous with hospice on some level. Um, I'm a certified hospice and palliative care nurse. So, so it's symptom management. Palliative care is for people with chronic illnesses. They don't have a six month or less diagnosis. So you can actually access a palliative care physician or team at any point in your illness. And they really help with symptom management. And they also help to uh, discuss the burdens and benefits of further treatment. So if somebody's on COP has COPD and their doctor says, hey, you need to wear oxygen at night, you can say, okay, I don't really want to wear oxygen at night. What will that look like? What will my life look like? will it affect me Um, and the docs and the the nurses, they're really great about just um, transparently walking you through um, the pros and cons of all of your treatment options. So if palliative care is available, it's a great option. It's just sometimes it's not um, accessible uh, because uh, it's not as readily available with insurance And um, so you just want to make sure that that's part of it. But I always tell people if they have a chronic illness and they're having issues with symptoms to see if they can have use that as a resource.
0: Okay. so it's similar to hospice in that it is that care management, that comfort, help, but it doesn't require that you're going to pass away. It just it's just a, a state of being. So I can see where you talked about how people think, ah, palliative care, if that means hospice, you're saying I'm going to die. And you think, no, 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 we're just going to help you deal with the symptoms. Okay.
1: Right. And they can still, they can still um, aggressively treat their disease processes. So they can still, you know, get chemo for cancer, but maybe they're having troubles with pain management while they have cancer. Or maybe they are living with HIV and they keep getting infections. So they can go to the hospital get their infections treated, but maybe the palliative care team can kind of help them sort out um, their, you know, maybe like having a care team come into the house. So maybe they can provide resources for them to find somebody to help them while they're at home.
0: Okay. So mostly these are in-home help. Is that correct?
1: Um, well, I know it, it's so it's like we're getting in the weeds, Linda. I, the <laughs> um, hospice has a couple different types of care. Um, general inpatient care is paid for by Medicare, but that is um, when somebody needs acute nursing care, acute symptom management. So they need IV pain management. They need aggressive wound care. They need rapid titration of drugs for delirium. Um, care that can really only be provided in kind of a hospital setting. And, um, but Medicare, um, there are limitations to that. And it's, um, yeah, so so that is a possibility. It's just that we, I work at a a facility where there's inpatient care, but there's also residential care and, and respite care. And so Our goal is always to try to get the patient back to home, so get them stabilized so they can go back home. Uh, So there's a couple different types of that where you can actually be in a hospital or some type of facility for hospice care, but generally it's in the home. And then palliative care, um, you can also have uh, palliative care in the home setting, but a lot of times you can have a palliative care consult while you're in the hospital, and maybe you just have a new diagnosis of COPD, or maybe you have visited the ER for the fourth time with, you know, your um, pain issues, um, then they can do a palliative care consult. It, okay. it's, it's a little complex. It does. <laughs> and I'm definitely not touching on all the possibilities.
0: So what I'm hoping is, because you're giving me kind of an umbrella overview that if it comes to where I actually need this, say my father-in-law's next or my mother or my father, then it would be a little more simplified because we're talking about one specific case and what, what their one specific needs are because right now it feels a little bit overwhelming. So I'm hoping yeah. that when it comes to actually needing and using then it will be um, it will be a real help and a, and a comfort and I'll be able to understand.
1: Yeah, I mean, they, it really, they really are excellent uh, resources for people. And um, when it comes down to it, either needing palliative care or hospice care, they'll have a team of people swarm around them and help them make all of these decisions and understand it.
0: Oh, excellent. That's so helpful. So basically what you're getting is a team of support and help for what, whatever things you need. Now you mentioned that there are five important decisions to consider when advocating for the end of your life. So what are those things?
1: Patient autonomy is really important for people, which means that when they're provided with the proper information about their disease and their disease process, they can make decisions about their care. And, um, Uh, So patient autonomy is somebody making a decision. So a lot of people, when they're offered hospice, they're not quite ready for hospice. And a lot of people choose to not have hospice, even though it probably will be the most beneficial thing they can do at that time medically, but mentally they're not there. And so um, I just think it's really important to uh, choose what you want, but also gather information so that you're making informed decisions about your care and then letting your people know. Another important thing is having family or friends involved in your care. Um, Hospice is end of life care. So at some point as people are declining, they will need help with managing, you know, laundry, food, bedding, showers, And at some point they likely won't be able to get out of bed anymore. So they'll need somebody to continue to feed them while they're in the bed, um, take care of them. Um, So you really do need to find at least one person who will be able to, at some point, be with you 24-7, but um, somebody to definitely be checking in on you. There's a lot of people who are living alone and don't have enough support. So, um, Kind of thinking about who your care team is going to be is really important. I think advocating for what your goals are and what your values are. You know, everybody in this life has really different ideas about what's meaningful to them, what gives them uh, the greatest opportunities to live. And living might look really different for me than it does for An 85 year old gentleman who really finds a lot of satisfaction in watching a football game or, you know, playing bridge online or something. So, so it's really important to have, kind of think about what is important to you. Maybe you don't want to travel, but maybe quality of life to you is sitting down and eating chocolate chip mint ice cream, you know, and that's enough. Maybe that's enough. Um, I think it's funny because a lot of people will say, oh, their quality of life isn't good. But that's based on your opinion. And the person who's sitting in the chair eating the chocolate chip mint ice cream is probably really content. Um, So just kind of defining your goals and your values.
0: I think that's kind of beautiful. I love the idea that you can still have some quality of life, even if it's something like a simple pleasure of, of mm-hmm. ice cream or something. Mm-hmm. That's quite lovely. Now you mm-hmm. also mentioned some people choose not to, is that what opting out means is you just choose mm-hmm. to, I, I choose not to have these services. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. That, I mean, that was my phrase. <laughs> so it's not, it's
0: that's not, not like an official term. It just means I choose <laughs> not, not to participate. Okay. Good to know. Right. Good right. to know. Right. And it's, it's nice if you're on good. the same page with, again, with the, my mother-in-law, cause that's recent to me. Um, her daughter, who is a nurse, wanted to sign up for everything and have all the help and all the people come in and this wonderful support team. And as soon as they would show up, my father-in-law would send them away. <laughs> yes, that is
1: common. That
0: happens. And so uh, it, was, it was challenging. He wanted to do it himself. <laughs> he thought he could do it himself. He didn't want anybody interfering. He didn't feel like he wanted any people in his home. And so... We had to stop and just let him do the best he could. And then mm-hmm. when he got exhausted, then mm-hmm. he allowed some people to come in. So he yeah. what she was ready for wasn't necessarily what he was ready for.
1: Yeah. So and it, was, it took a lot while. Of, and there's a lot of beauty in that story with your father in law, right? Like that's that's his chapter and it's his chapter to write and and he's gonna go down fighting and resisting and doing it on his own, because independence is all he knows and all he wants. That's his primary value, is being independent. A lot of times, it's not pretty. It can be messy when they're trying to do it on their own, when they're not feeling well. But it's also a beautiful part of his you know, story.
0: That's the conclusion that I came to. It was frustrating at the beginning, but after I, I watched just- him for a while, I thought... No, this is his gift of love to her, and I can respect that. Yeah. And we yeah. will we will step in and help when he asks and, you know, allow people to come in when he's comfortable with it. So there are options, aren't there?
1: Yes, yes. That's really nice that you were so um, kind of grounded while this was going on with your father-in-law. And, you know, it is really nice to have a medical professional, like a nurse, around and in the family because they do know what all the resources are. Mm-hmm. Um, and we know how good it can be, but it, it, I know how frustrating it can be, too, when they're not utilized.
0: Yep, yeah. Fantastic. We've covered some good things. Is there anything else you want to make sure that you cover?
1: Well, I think it's people are making choices at the end of their life. I just had this discussion with somebody Um or not even at the end of their life, you know, say they're, say they have years left of their life. Just um, really, you know, not making a choice is making a choice. Choosing not to have something is, is, it's a choice. You're deciding, okay, I don't want the oxygen, but because of that, there will be some consequences that happen. And I'm okay with that. And sometimes you have to let the family know. That that's important to you. Um, because I think, you know, family dynamics are funny, we often don't have real transparent conversations with um, our family members, because we want to protect them. There's something called the con- compassion conspiracy, where everybody, you know, is in this conspiracy conspiracy of keeping each other safe and protected, because nobody wants to talk about the end of life. So I think just trying to have some real transparent conversations about Um, what is important to you and that you are making these decisions or not making decisions consciously.
0: Excellent. Thank you. That's just wonderful advice. So thank you so much for joining with me today. I appreciate this conversation. I, again, I really think this is important and a lot of people don't want to talk about it. We want to pretend that we just live forever and you know, the, the data shows that that's not true.
1: It's true. I really appreciate your heart in this, Linda, and your insight is very deep in this whole topic. So I just, I really appreciate that. Thank you.
0: Oh, Beth, you are wonderful. Well, in closing, I would like to share a quote by Abraham Lincoln. He said, in the end, it's not the years in your life that count. It's the life in your years. So whatever your age and the state of your health, I invite you to do at least one thing to improve the quality of your life. See you next time on Linda's Corner.